You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Psalm 119, verses 137 through 144, and we're going to be talking about the fact that God is righteous and transcendent. And we'll be looking at a variety of other verses as well. But before we take a look at that, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. If you have a second this week, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. On the website, you'll find our blog, our online Bible studies, our bookstore, our devotional resources, links to both of our podcasts, and a link to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Each Tuesday, I send out a weekly newsletter. It includes some devotional thoughts. It also includes links to things that I hope you will find valuable, things that you can find right at desirejesus.com. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, stop by our website. We'd love to get you plugged into some of the things that we've made available, and we'd love to encourage you as well to get signed up for our weekly newsletter. So again, desirejesus.com is where you can find all of that. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we're talking about the fact that God is righteous and transcendent. And for the past group of weeks, we've been looking at attributes of God. We've been talking about who God is, and we've been learning things about what God is like. And today, again, we're talking about his righteousness and his transcendence. So we're going to begin with looking at Psalm 119, verses 137 through 144, and then we're going to look around at several other verses of Scripture that highlight God's righteousness and His transcendence. But we'll begin with Psalm 119, verse 137, and this is what it says in this passage. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me, because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to spend some time together today taking a look at it and by your grace growing from it. We pray, Lord, that as we look at several portions of Scripture today and as we talk about the attributes of your righteousness and your transcendence, that we would understand a little bit more about you, and that our trust in you would likewise grow. We commit this time to your care, and we thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most enjoyable aspects of life is to do something helpful, thoughtful, or kind for someone else. It's one thing to desire to do good, but it's another thing to actually follow through with doing good. Not long ago, I had an opportunity where a member of my family had a need, and after discussing a possible remedy to that need with my wife, we decided to help. Our family member was blessed and encouraged as a result, but so were we, and I'm still grateful that we had the privilege to help in this way. 
This is a pattern that our Lord wants to see at work in our lives because he is empowering us not to merely think about holy and heavenly things, but also to act on what he is revealing to us. We're called to practice righteousness, not just think about it. But how can we practice righteousness when, by nature, we're sinful people? And how can anything we do be considered righteous since all aspects of our lives have been tainted by sin? Our God is pure, and he is far above everything he has created. But still, his righteousness is made available to us, and in blessing us with it, he remedies this dilemma. So let's take a look at the fact that Scripture reveals to us that God is righteous. Now, I just read this a few moments ago, but in Psalm 119, verse 142, it says this, Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. That's what the psalmist is saying about God, that his righteousness is righteous forever. God's righteousness is an expression of his holiness. We know he is holy, and we know he is good, but we see his holiness and goodness displayed through his works of righteousness. Righteousness is holiness put into action. God is good, but we confidently call him righteous because he does something with his goodness. He is accomplishing great things for his glory and for our benefit. The Lord delights in displaying his righteousness. We see the righteousness of God displayed in the many ways that he interacts with what he has made. We also see the righteousness of God described as being an active expression of his nature toward what he has made in various places in his word. The Lord allows us to come to know him. The Lord shows steadfast love to humanity. The Lord rules with justice, and he delights to do so. I love what we read in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 24. There the scripture says this, But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God's Word also tells us that there is going to be a day when mankind will come before him and be judged, and he will judge righteously. Those who rejected him will be condemned to an eternity separated from his blessings. Those who trusted in him and expressed that trust through faithful obedience while looking forward to one day seeing him face to face will be rewarded. His righteousness will be clearly displayed in the manner in which he judges. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. These are things we can certainly look forward to if we have a relationship with God the Father through faith in God the Son, Jesus Christ. But keep in mind that in many places in the Word of God, we're encouraged to be righteous like Him. How is that even possible? How can a sinful human being like you or I be righteous like Christ? 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus said this. He said, You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yikes. <laughs> what did he mean by that? And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the culture of the time, it was assumed by many of the people that the most righteous people around were members of the Jewish religious sect that was called the Pharisees. And from most external standards, that would have seemed to be the case. But it turns out that the Pharisees primarily sought the praise of men. Their deeds of righteousness were mainly attempts to be lavished in the praise that should have been given to God. Well, in the statements Jesus made, he was telling us that our righteousness needs to be more than just external. We need the internal righteousness of God in our lives so that our actions and motivations will be empowered by his grace and intended for his glory. So how is the righteousness of God obtained? How can his righteousness become part of our lives? Our sinfulness prevents us from being able to earn or deserve it, but it can be given to us as a gift. Through faith in Christ, we are given His righteousness. Theologians like to call this imputed righteousness, which means His righteousness is attributed to us, or it's added to our account. That's what it means. At the same time, our sin was imputed to Him. He bore our sin at the cross, then blesses us with the gift of His righteousness when we come to faith in Him. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22 say this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Isn't it amazing that our God would make that kind of trade? seems beyond comprehension to imagine that a holy, righteous God would take our sin upon himself so that he could lavish us with his righteousness. But if he didn't do so, we would have no hope. We would have been forever lost in our sin. Our Lord deserves our praise because in his steadfast love, he orchestrated the only way that we as sinful people could be made completely righteous in his sight. Well, Scripture teaches us other things about the Lord as well. We're told that he's righteous, but we're also shown that he is transcendent. Let me read for us from Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. The Scripture says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To say that God is transcendent is to say that God is above what he has created and is not dependent on what he has created or made. Rather, creation is completely dependent on him. 
There is no other being that is transcendent. Only God can claim this distinction. He is completely superior to everything in the created universe, in every way conceivable. Scripture teaches us that the thoughts of God are higher than our thoughts. He knows things we don't know. He can see every issue from every side. He knows all details about the past, present, and future. He can foresee every possible outcome of every decision. Scripture teaches us that the plans of God are higher than our plans. We tend to make short-term plans with short-term outcomes. And even our so-called long-term plans are still short-term from God's perspective. He, on the other hand, has a perfect plan that is far superior to anything we can plan. He is orchestrating things that we would never naturally perceive with the long-term goal that many will come to faith in Jesus Christ and forever give Him glory. Scripture teaches us that the motives of God are higher than our motives. Our motives are often impacted by the corrupting presence of sin and selfishness. God's motives are pure and incorruptible. He is sovereign over His creation, and He is acting for our benefit, and His motives are completely holy and good. Again, it's important to be clear that God is above everything He has created and no created being can share this distinction. But it's also wise to gain an understanding of the fact that the Lord invites us to adopt His manner of thinking and living as our own. This is the Father's plan for us. This is what Jesus came to this earth to make possible. And this is what the Holy Spirit is empowering us to practice. Our lives are being divinely empowered to mirror God's aboveness, meaning as people who have been rescued by the saving work of Jesus Christ, we're encouraged to stop diving headfirst into pits of worldly sin. Jesus Christ has lifted us out of that pit, and His Word implores us never to return to the mess He redeemed us out of. Colossians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 say it this way, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says it this way, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Word of God is teaching us not to be consumed with lesser or worldly things that drag us down and enslave us. Our transcendent God lives within us. He who is above us invites us to adopt His perspective. He who lifted us up invites us to look up. He who granted us true spiritual freedom doesn't ever want to see us living like we're slaves to unrighteousness any longer. I read something recently about Sam Houston that I appreciated. I actually came across this uh, very recently, but I think I read it once before. At least it seemed familiar to me. But Sam Houston is legendary, not only in Texas, but also among many people who study leadership and government and military history. And this is what I came across. Let me read it to you. It says, at one time, the Texas hero was called the old drunk. While he was governor of Tennessee, his wife left him. 
In despair, he resigned as governor and tried to escape his problems by going to live among the Cherokee Indians. He stayed drunk much of the time. It is said that the Indians, as they walked through the forest, would have to move him out of the path where he lay in a stupor. Later, he went to Texas, where he became the great hero of the Texas Revolution when he routed General Santa Ana's Mexican army. Houston's battle cry, Remember the Alamo, helped win independence for Texas. He married the daughter of a Baptist preacher and later trusted Christ, but he still had some of his old tendencies. One day, as he rode along a trail, his horse stumbled. Houston spontaneously cursed reverting to his old habit. Immediately, he was convicted of his sin. He got off his horse, knelt down on the trail, and cried out to God for forgiveness. Houston had already received Christ, but God was teaching him to live in fellowship with him moment by moment. As soon as the Holy Spirit made Sam Houston aware of his sin, he confessed it. Now, that's something that was written by Daryl Robinson, and I wanted to share it with you here because our transcendent God could have chosen to remain unknown to us, but he didn't. Instead, he offers us the righteousness of Christ, and he empowers us to adopt his manner of thinking as our own. We're called to be confessors of sin, not embracers of sin. We're called to be lovers of righteousness who set our minds on things above. In general, how are you feeling right now? Have you embraced the gift of the righteousness of Christ, or does this world still have you in its grip? Is your mind caught up in worldly things that only produce death, disease, and depression? Or would you like to begin to adopt God's perspective as your own and begin setting your mind on the very things that reflect His heart? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it was to be able to read it together today and think about the various things that you communicate to us about yourself in it. Lord, your word reveals to us that you are righteous. Your word also reveals to us that you are transcendent, that you are above everything you have created, and you invite us to walk in the righteousness that you supply through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. You likewise remind us that you have called us to set our eyes on things that are above and not to be consumed with worldly things. You are transcendent. You are above what you have created. And you invite us to lift our eyes up and to begin to see things like you see things. Thank you, Lord, for doing this for us. Thank you for accomplishing this great work in our lives. And we pray that by your grace that you would help us to walk with you faithfully in every context of life that you've placed us in. We love you, Lord. We know we don't deserve these blessings, but we're grateful for them all. And we commit ourselves to you today and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the show, we invite you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com. Be sure to check out all the things that we have there. Sign up to be on our newsletter list if you're not already on it. And while you're there, don't be afraid to send me a message and let me know if there's a way that I could be praying for you during the course of the week, or even just let me know where you listen to the show from. There are people that from time to time will send me messages and just let 
me know that they're listening to the show, but they live in places that I have never been and maybe I'll never get to go to. So it's always fun to know that I'm connected through the friendship of our podcast community with brothers and sisters in Christ who live in far-off places. It always edifies me to hear your comments and your thoughts and your words of encouragement. And even just to know that you're out there listening, it's very edifying. So thanks again for those of you who take the time to do it. It's also just really fun. (laughs) But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. Is life feeling chaotic? I get it. I'm Rachel Wojo, host of the Untangling Life podcast. Don't miss the passionate encouragement and faith-based resources you need to help you clear your head and calm your heart. As Shell says, it feels like Rachel always knows what I need to hear. She keeps it real and is so humble. Her podcast is just the cherry on top. Enjoy Untangling Life with Rachel Wojo on lifeaudio.com or your favorite podcast app now.